0: welcome to travel worth living a travel podcast helping to share adventure stories from around the world my name is seth and i'll be your host today as we get to talk with a british rally driver who shot to fame after winning the european rally championship ladies trophy at the age of 18. Katie Munnings is an up and coming British rally driver who started competing from a young age after being inspired to enter the sport by her petrolhead father, Chris Munnings, who ran the London Rally School at Brands Hatch. She mastered the art of the handbrake turn by the age of 13 and spent the following few years gaining invaluable experience by entering club rally events across the UK, doing everything from driving alongside her father to testing with a professional rally team when she was 17. During our conversation, we talk a lot about the places she's traveled to during her rally competitions, as well as what it's like to be a rally driver, what it takes to compete in these races. Before we jump into our conversation, though, here is our travel trivia. Did you know that the World Rally Championship is the pinnacle of rally racing, bringing the world's best drivers and machines together and pitting them against the toughest routes around the world? Each race sees the action head out onto both open and closed roads across country and taking in multiple stages throughout the weekend. Competitors are timed driving the stage individually along with a co-driver and aim to complete the stage within the fastest time possible. The co-driver is there to help direct and navigate the driver as entire rallies comprise routes that are hundreds of kilometers in length. World Rally Championship cars are very much a product of the terrain they race on geared for ultimate acceleration out of tight bends, along with near-instant responses over top speed. As you'd expect, a World Rally Championship car is not short on power, with their turbocharged engines putting out close to 400 brake horsepower, and top speeds hovering around 200 kilometers per hour. But it's the fact that they can hit 100 kilometers per hour in under 4 seconds that really impresses. Throw in the ability to do that time and time again on gravel, ice, and snow and you really start to see how unique a World Rally Championship car actually is. With World Rally Championship heading all over the world, drivers have to get to grips with all manner of terrain from snow and ice in Finland to arid deserts in Kenya and every destination is certain to push man and machine to the very limit. And now here is my conversation with Katie Munnings. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, it's great to chat to you. Yeah,
0: let's go ahead and get started by just telling me a little bit about yourself and where you're from, just a general overview so we can get to know you better.
1: So I'm from England. um, So I live in Kent, just south of London in England. I'm a rally driver, so that means that I'm competing in the World Rally Championship at the minute. Um, I've competed in the European Rally Championship for a few years, um, but I'm now in the World Rally Championship kind of um, traveling all the time and racing rally cars.
0: Go ahead and tell me how you got into rally racing. How did it all start for you?
1: It started because my dad, he used to drive in Raleigh um, and then growing up, he, when I was growing up, he was an instructor um, and then he had a motorsport entertainment company when I was young. So I'd be on the family farm in old cars and things like that, um, just playing around and learning um, from him. Um, and then I started in grass auto testing when I was 14 um, because in England, to pass your driving tests you don't have to do any kind of skid uh, training. You know, in some countries you have to go on the wet surface and learn how to control skids and stuff. There's mm-hmm. not any of that. Um, and Dad said where we live is in the countryside, so if you, I was to go out onto a snowy lane, he didn't want us having no idea how to handle it when we were when we were driving on the road. So I started competing in that when I was 14, um, and then I got into rally a bit later when I was 17, and um, that's when I went to my first test with Peugeot Sport in France.
0: Wow, that's really smart. I, I know with with my dad, we'd go out to like parking lots or frozen lakes or something like that. Because in the US, we actually don't need to get any training, we can just go pass the test and pass the written and the practical test. So it's a little bit different.
1: Yeah, definitely. For sure.
0: Yeah. How much do you travel with rally racing? Like how many races do you typically do in a year?
1: So it's not that March Motorsport is so expensive um, that you're probably, uh, in a championship, you're probably looking at maximum kind of junior championship about six races um, through the All year. Right. Um, and that's kind of spread out. The season normally starts around March and finishes in October for us. Um, so that's spread out through those kind of summer months. Um, it's... But then there's a lot more traveling than that because, for example, I've always been with a French-based team, or now I'm with a Poland-based team, so if I want to practice, it's not like I can just go and get on my skateboard and go and practice, like, locally, you know. it's I've literally yeah. got to fly across the country, and um, then they've got to hire a road, there's got to be police, ambulance, you know, it's expensive sports. So, for us, the training, um, even even to just go out and just, just drive for a, a day is, you know, a really big effort. Um, so, there's a lot more flying than just the competitions. Um, I'll be going out to see this, the team, the car, for mechanics training in the factory um if they've got sponsor days we'll be flying all over the place um i'm excited because next year i'm entered into the driver's pool for an extreme e-championship which is set to go to greenland um the himalayas indonesian islands um the rainforest in the amazon uh the sahara desert i think as well so you know it's going to be amazing race in those places
0: that's going to be so awesome i can't wait to see all that That'll, that'll be amazing for you Go ahead and walk me through, like, a typical race. You said there's a lot of training. Uh, Actually, let's go ahead and start there. So what kind of training is involved leading up to a race? What kind of training do you have to do?
1: So typically, other than kind of gym gym stuff and just being a normal athlete, you know, preparing mentally and physically for it, you'll be looking at um well it all, it all comes down to budget so if you've got the budget to be out there the week before um driving on local roads um every single day then that's what you'll do but for the majority of drivers it's a sort of a one or t- two day test um in each location so for example if we're doing a rally which is in the french mountains on tarmac um we'll be wanting to go there just a few days before so it's similar conditions you're not allowed to drive on the roads that are going to be used in the actual event but you can drive on like the ne- ne- next door roads to it so they're you know very similar um, so we'll be practicing seem to get a feel for the conditions and um, for the tires and um, for the setup of the car. Most importantly, uh, working with your co-driver and the mechanics and coming up with strategies. It's just like Formula One, you know, how they have the free practice and then qualifying. It's very similar in rally. Um, so that's the kind of training that we'll do. Um, And then, of course, throughout the year, you know, we'll do snow testing if we can. I've worked up in Lapland for a couple of years as an ice driving instructor um, up in Sweden. Um, So that was awesome. And that's, you know, a really cool place to develop um, craft as a driver as well. Um, So that's kind of the off-season training that we might do. Um, And I think it's just about, you know, what you can do with your resources, what you've got access to budgets, and um, you just make of it what you can on as many different surfaces as possible.
0: Got you. And, And I've seen that you also have a simulator as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that does make, you know, things a little bit easier during lockdown uh, to get that fixed. I wouldn't say that we use it as training as such, you know, for real life racing. I think it's very different to how in Formula One they can use it to learn tracks and stuff. But I think that there's so many variables that come into rally and it's so interchanging and there's so many things that can happen. Um, and I think if you keep getting this, um, well, it's quite dangerous really when you play it and you get, can keep getting reloaded back onto the road every time you crash. It makes you quite an optimistic driver. So um, I think, you know, you, you do have to separate the two. It is good for some things because you can change the setup of the car. So you do actually get a feeling for what the different um, tweaks that you can do to suspension and tires and all of those things and how it can affect the car. But actually, I think the best practice has to be done in real life.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, it gives you that false sense of security. That's
1: exactly it, yeah.
0: Yeah, so wow, that's that's a lot of training that's involved. And then once you get to the actual rally, how long is a rally? I've never actually been to a rally, so I'm learning all about this. I was looking up some stuff. It
1: depends. If you're just looking like a national rally in the UK, for example, it might be one day. Um, But normally like a WRC event, I mean, historically it's been, you know, nearly two weeks before, you know, they're really long events. But now it's more It's kind of a WRC event will be three or four days maximum. Um, It's normally Saturday, Sunday either the whole of Friday or half of Friday. Um, And then you have qualifying on Thursday and then you have the recce's on Tuesday and Wednesday and that kind of thing. So it does, you know, the whole event, the process takes a week, but the actual racing will be kind of three days normally. Um, And that's sort of from 6 a.m. right through to, you know, sometimes 2 a.m. And then you get a few hours sleep and you go straight back out into it. Obviously you have like... um, services and things like that in between. So you have like 45 minutes off or in an area or tire changes. Um, And you're obviously not racing for the whole time because I don't know if you know a lot about the way that rally works, but you basically start in the service park where you leave your mechanics and then you'll drive maybe, it could be anything. It could be five minutes. It could be two hours to the start of the stage you'll drive this stage as fast as you can for however long it will be. It could be 20 kilometres. When you finish that stage, um, you hand in your time card and the the marshals will write down your time for that stage. And then you just have to drive to the start of the next stage. But normally, like on the road, you know, not like speeding. So it's these constant highs and lows and you might have... 10 stages in a day that you have to complete and they you that you will have to fit them in in the time scale that you're given by the organizers so if you've done any damage you've only got five minutes to fix it at the side of the road you know it's it can get quite interesting and that's why it's quite a cool sport to follow
0: got you so it's not like everybody starts this stage finishes it and then goes on to the next thing you kind of have a set time where you have to do all those stages so
1: it's a minute interval. So the drivers will go off. Um, and then if you get overtaken, you get overtaken. Um, but it's the same thing. You have to arrive at the, st- the start of the next stage in your minute. So your co-driver has to time it perfectly. And sometimes you can, you know, if the organisers have allowed an hour to get to the next stage, you might be sat at the side of the road for half an hour chilling and, you know, waiting to enter. Sometimes it's really tight. So it's um, it, there's a lot of organisation that goes into it as well.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense. And you've talked about your co-driver. Tell me a little bit about the importance of your co-driver, because I know they use like coded language to help you know where to go, how fast to go, how to take a turn. What exactly is their role? so
1: their role is a lot more than kind of um just what you see normally on tv or whatever you know from from the moment you decide to do a rally they're the ones that are in control of doing the organization doing the entries making sure all the forms are filled and there's a lot of paperwork um organizing i mean most drivers are typical drivers and they're like you know not not very good at much else and you, you know we, we have a different mindset we're thinking about other things about how to drive it might be you know some, some drivers make their co-drivers wake them up in the morning, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, um, But the, the main jobs of them are um, to make sure that everyone's on time um, and to navigate. And the way that you do that is you have a two-day recce. So you go out with, in a normal road car with your co-driver on the roads that you're going to be racing on. Um, and the co-driver will have like a blank piece of paper in front of them. The driver will drive down the road at normal speed and say exactly what they want to hear back in the rally car. So it will be like 150, that's 150 meters three right, which is you know the angle in your own code, and it will be like a, a kind of 90 degree right hand corner. And the driver says it in their language of the information they wanna have, whether there's dirt on the road, whether you can go faster than it looks, all of these little pieces of information are cut down into code. And the co-driver has to write it all down quickly. Then you get another pass at that stage and the co-driver will read it back to the driver and you can make any adjustments that you want to make. Um, and then a day later, the next time you go through, it will be flat out with just the co-driver reading you the instructions. So you really have to trust them as well. It's a really important relationship.
0: Wow. And they need to know that that course just as good as you. Basically, in their mind, be able to drive it so they know uh, what you want to hear, what you want to know, what you're thinking, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it does become um, quite an intrinsic relationship in the way that is, as you say, if something goes wrong, if you've got to fix something, you both have to know your role. Um, We'll practice tire changes again and again. I know that I've got to get the nut gun out and undo the nuts while the co-driver will get the spare wheel out the back. Um, And it really is something, you know, every second counts. So you really have to be very close and you spend a lot of time together. So you have to be friends as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I know I was listening to another uh i think another podcast you're having and you're talking about how you like to have girls as your (laughs) co-driver yeah tell me tell me more about um why you think it's important for more women to be involved in rally racing
1: yeah it is i mean it's definitely important and because i often get asked oh do girl you know i didn't know girls could do it i've only ever seen guys do it and i think it's you know it's the same as f1 it's like you know that the there's a lot of guys at the top level of the sport because there's a lot of guys entering at the bottom level of the sport. There's so many more guys that will go go-karting on a weekend than there are girls. And we're talking about, you know, seven-year-olds. You know, it's always yeah. it's always that kind of way. So it's so important to show girls that actually, you know, you can go go-karting, you can get into it too. Um, and why so I work with a lot of um, commissions, the Women in Motorsport Commission as well, which introduces girls at the right age to motorsport and sets up little competitions with with them and um, is really just blasting the fact that we want exposure for girls in motorsport. Because I think if, if they have role models you know they'll see it as an option for their for them as well when they're young um so that's why it's important and i always like to have a female co-driver um because i think it's quite powerful you know especially when there's a lack of women in in motorsport it's quite a stand but also as i said you know you've got to be friends with them and like you know it's quite fun going around touring europe with um someone that you really get on with and you know it's um yeah it's, it's, it is a fun thing to do
0: yeah. Do you have any stories you'd like to share? I know one, the one time you like crashed into a house to have coffee.
1: That one. So that was in Poland. Uh, that was a really fast rally. It used to be a round of the world championship and it was changed to be a round of the European championship. Um and one of the, we had a world rally championship driver come in and he was driving in it as like a one-off thing. And he actually retired by choice. He said, it's too fast for me. It's too dangerous, this rally. And so I was still running in it. And then a couple of stages later, we were in a quite a residential area, very narrow tarmac, but broken up tarmac, you know, quite rough and bumpy. We went over a crest um, and one of the wheels caught grip and the rest kind of went light. And so of course it just spun us around completely out of control. Um, and we went sideways into this like concrete swing took out the concrete swing, but it threw us up in the air, which meant that we hit this house. Side on, um, kind of on the second floor, and then rolled, like uh, skid down the side of the car, and just like wiped our paint on the side of this house. It was awful, but it made a crack in the wall um, down in their living room, um, and you can hear a scream on the onboard camera, and it was from inside the house. It wasn't from us, you know, inside the car. This woman, she, we were, it, you know, it was looking back. It was lucky because there was two deck chairs out, and we'd gone through the deck chairs, and I think that she was sitting on the deck chairs watching the rally. Probably not a safe place to sit, but you know. Uh, um, and I think she'd gone inside to make a cup of coffee um, while we were where we while we came through. So it was good timing. And from that sense, um, and she ended up making us coffee as well. I needed it to calm my nerves after that. But um, that was one of the stories. There was another time we did uh, Cyprus Rally, um, which was quite fun. It was quite a, you know an out there um, event to do, quite unusual in the kind of this wasn't a desert, but it really did seem like a desert. Um, and I had a new co-driver, a Spanish girl, and it was her first time making English place notes. Um, and so we said we got to practice we went out a couple of days early went out to practice um we had this like jeep that we'd hired um from somebody locally because i was too young to hire a, a car from the airport so we had to get some guy that knew some guy that was going to give us a car in cyprus we had this jeep um and we we went out and um I remember we ended up in this army base without even knowing it. We'd driven into the middle of nowhere because we wanted like gravel tracks, you know, so, so that we could have similar surfaces to what we would drive on. And we um, we ended up going up and down the same road to make pace notes and practice them and practice the way she'd say them back to me. So we were just driving on the same kilometers up and down. And um, then I started seeing, you know, you can see like these... Um, like the the buildings where they do shooting practice from and everything like that and i'm thinking god this is a really weird place it's really quiet and then um there was we got followed out we got escorted out by this dude with like people with guns in it and everything and we were just we would just gone out to practice for the day and we'd ended up in this like i have no idea where we were but it was quite scary because obviously it was in the middle of cyprus so you know you've got the kind of rivalry there anyway between the um Cyprits and you know so uh, anyway it was it was fine but it was quite a funny story looking back on it that we'd managed to get ourselves in that situation
0: <laughs> those are the stories that are are more funny looking back.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, At the time, it's just like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this sport?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, yeah, doing rally racing, you've actually traveled to several different countries. Um, yeah. What are some things that you've learned while traveling to other countries that you wouldn't have learned if you just stayed, like racing in England or, you know, living in Kent and never traveling outside?
1: I think it's a lot about the cultures um, in different places. Um, I've learned that French A has got a long wait as well. <laughs> we crashed into the side of a mountain in France when we were doing Rally Mont Blanc mountain uh, rally, and I ended up—I think I broke a bone in my hand, and my co-driver had a bad neck as well. She had to uh, go, we, so we both ended up um, having to go get checked out. I, I remember we sat there for hours in our race suits, waiting to be seen. Um, So yeah i think it's all about like the culture but what i love about motorsport and what i love about rally is that you'll go to places that aren't necessarily tourist areas so it's not you know the big names of cities that you go to on holiday then the more you see more of the country because you're going staying in little villages that might only have one or two hotels and you're eating local food um and so i think it's all about the culture and that's the side of it that i really enjoy as well and fitting in with that local lifestyle um Even just funny things, you know, like when we went to Italy, Rally Rome is like the chaos of being in Italy and um, trying to navigate Rome and doing parades and stuff and the police and not understanding what everyone's saying. And it's, you know, it's just exactly what you kind of watch when you watch an Italian movie. It's the same atmosphere and it's amazing to be a part of it and to be involved in it. Um, And then you get the complete opposite when you go somewhere like, um, for example, Austria, where everything's really kind of laid out and it's just the way they do things over there. So it's really nice, you know, it's cool to see the world like that.
0: Yeah, so the races are actually different depending on the culture as well.
1: Massively, because they're all organised by local clubs, you know. So it's not kind of one organiser that will go around and set it up. It's sort of a full time job for a lot of people to organise this one event for the year. Um, And so that's that's how they're also unique. And we'll get you know when we entered, for example, Rally Rome. we all got bottles bottles of wine with rally rome stickers on and it was just the local thing to do was to give us wine um and things like that whereas if you go somewhere else we went to the mountains you might get something from the mountains and um yeah it is cool
0: that's really cool so i i know you've kind of grown up in rally since your your dad was in rally as well um but what makes rally special for you compared to like formula one or drag racing or any other category of racing I
1: think it's definitely the challenge um as i said a bit earlier it's kind of you know it's not formula one where you have runoff areas we're constantly playing with fire because it's so narrow if you make a mistake you're out and you're sat at the side of the road you're waiting for a pickup truck for the rest of the day and that's your event over and so it's you know you have to be really on it there's a lot of fine-tuned skills and it's um you know, you can have snow, you can have rain, you can have um, beautiful sun all in one stage. Um, and there's no kind of, oh, no, we're on the wrong tyres. Let me just come in and change what you've committed to. You've committed to and you've got it. You know, it's a lot more down to instincts as a driver. It's kind of a bit more hardy. Um, and, uh, you know, we might have days where we have only, uh, you know, a full days driving and no service on the car. So any any any. Um, anything that needs fixing on the car, or any damage, is all down to us and our mechanic skills and what we've got in the car to fix it with, which is, you know, it's a challenge. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest word for it, but the sense of achievement that you get when you've completed something like that and having taken in the whole side of the motorsport, not just the driving, but actually making sure that you're up to scratch with everything else is really fulfilling.
0: And I feel like a lot of skills that you have in rallies, uh, rally racing can convert over to regular, you know, when you're driving in a car and you break down on the side of the road.
1: That's it. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I can definitely change a puncture if that needs doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. How do you mentally as an athlete, how do you deal with the stress of racing? Uh, how do you prepare for it? And, and how do you deal with the stress while you're racing? Because there's really no time to have a breakdown while you're driving, you know, down the road be like, Oh, I can't do this. You have to push through. How do you, how do you do that?
1: A lot of it is kind of um, the preparation that you put into it, making sure that you're in the right headspace going into the event, making sure you're not tired because that's, you know, the number one thing that I think tips people over sometimes. And it's very easy to do, you know. Even I say making sure you're not getting enough sleep. I'll still be up at like 4 or 5 a.m. watching the onboard videos for the day, and I think every driver will be, but it's all relative, you know. And I think I've been working with a mental coach, and we do a lot of anchoring and visualization techniques. Um, So, for example, one that we use um, is... Well, I'll have like an mp3 audio which he's he's made um, and it's all done to timing so it'll be the time that I go into the time control to hand in the card, the time that it takes for me to switch the engine on and every, you know exactly what would happen in the sequence to me starting a stage and it's recorded to the sound of the engine um, and it's recorded from a video that I've actually been racing with. So it's all exactly as it would be. Um, And he's talking me through it and he's saying, and now imagine yourself in the most confident place you've ever been. You're gonna go and do amazingly on this. You're gonna be really fast and everything like that. And now put your gloves on. Um, and that is meant to be the anchoring effect of putting your gloves on. So I'll be sat at home listening to this audio, and I have to put my gloves on, being sat there. Um, and it's the anchoring of putting the gloves on that triggers that state of mind in real life when you're actually putting your gloves on in real life, because that's kind of the neural pathway that you've created to calm yourself down. Um, mm. So that's an exciting one. Um, another one that I use is a breathing techniques. So when you're feeling anxious. Um, the the idea that is that you can calm down your body with breathing techniques. And if your body's calm, it sends uh, signals to your brain that actually that, you know, there's no danger and then your brain relaxes as well. And I think that's also an important one. Um, also, just making sure you get enough oxygen into your head before you start the stage. I mean, you know, anything can happen. You can get an animal jump out on you, as I've had before. You know, you can get things happen which shake you up or you might have had a near crash or even gone off the road and come back on, you know. So you, it's, it's impossible to completely stay 100% zen in the car, but I think it's your bounce-back rate. Um, uh, one one uh, driver, Brian Bouffier from um, Belgium, he said to me... Or actually, I think he's from France. I think I've, I've, He's driven in Belgium quite a lot. That's so why I think he's from Belgium. Um, but he said to me... Um, you have to have a goldfish memory and that's if you've had a crash a big crash like the day before and then you've got to go racing again goldfish memory you know if you've had a moment on stage goldfish memory it's just getting back in that zone to be present and i think that's also where the meditation kind of um, movement comes in as well and that kind of mindfulness of, of training yourself to actually focus on the present moment um and then you can kind of trick yourself and then you think how crazy it was after when you finished the event you're like oh my god did that happen but you can't give yourself that brain space during the event it's not possible
0: yeah that's incredible so how how many times have you crashed
1: i don't keep count (laughs) no i don't know i think when you start out learning um obviously you know there's mistakes because you know you're learning and that's just what happens with um any kind of sport and obviously as a mistake in a rally car is more detrimental than it would be if you were learning to be a goalkeeper in football you know it's um it's all relative um but i think as you get faster the mistakes become fewer and fewer and less kind of severe um but yeah, we've had a few. I think I think it's good to kind of get them out of the way, though, so that it's not something you're scared of. You know, you can roll a car and you can walk away from it and say, actually, you know what, they're safe, and um, it kind of um, you know not gives you confidence, but you know it's not something that you're you're terrified of.
0: Yeah, being able to push yourself further because you know if you go over that line, you're going to be okay. Exactly. I, yeah, I think that's very important. Uh, so when you're when you're when you're driving just regularly down the road, do you ever have a problem with not speeding
1: I don't actually because I make sure I like really separate it I listen to music or whatever you know I won't as soon as you start thinking in terms of if you're not training and you're not in a controlled environment for example as soon as you start thinking of like rally lines um the speed or you know the pace notes i find that you can very easily start to think you're the only one on the road because obviously in rally the road's closed so you can use all of the road but if you were to do that on a normal road and you end up on the wrong side of the road you know that's where things get a bit dangerous and um, and also the speed thing as well you know you never know what's gonna happen you might go around and there'll be a tractor in the middle of the road or whatever so I think it's you know a lot of rally drivers I think of quite sensible road drivers just because you know what it is to go fast and you know that even you know when boy races go out in their cars you know they're not driving fast because to drive fast normally you have to have a co-driver. You have to know where the road ahead goes. You know, it could look like a really tight corner, but it could be flat out. And in a rally car, you'll drive it flat out because you know that. And you just yeah. can't commit yeah. to that kind of thing when you haven't got the knowledge of the road um, ahead of you. So I think for that reason, it's quite unfulfilling if you try and drive fast on the road without the kind of rally car environment and, you know, the closed road and the pace notes um, because you know that you are never... Well, first of all, you'd always be way too cautious or, you'd know, you know, crash into something else. So it's, it's not a winner for anyone, really
0: you. Gotcha. So you're able to separate that pretty well. Yeah. That, that was something I've always been curious about because, uh, you know, I've, nev- I've never been a race car driver, but I'm like, man, what would it be like to just be flat out and then have to pull it back? But that makes so much sense. It's very different. So you're able to separate those two
1: and it feels different you know a race car feels so different to driving a normal car you know the clutch is heavy the brakes really hard to push the gears are uncomfortable it's not a smooth ride you know in the way that you would just get in your car and drive out so i think you're made aware of your surroundings very quickly (laughs)
0: yeah got you so with all the with all the rallies that you've been to do you have any favorite countries that you visited that were just unique because of culture or you like the scenery or
1: I loved Estonia. I thought Estonia was amazing, um, beautiful country. I went in the summer. It was beautiful. It was so cheap as well. Like I remember, a massive like dinner was like four pounds or something in in this in like oh, wow. this beautiful square. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, so I loved Estonia. I thought that was cool. Very advanced as well with their like technology and um, there was Wi-Fi all over the town in the parks and everything. Um, and uh, where else have I? I did like Cyprus. Um, I'm trying to think now. Sweden. I love Sweden. Um, I worked in Sweden, though, for, for the ice driving when I was an instructor up there. So that was cool. Um, Italy. I mean, these are all kind of places that you would go to normally. There's nowhere kind of out of the blue yet. But maybe come back to me next year when I've done the Extreme E Championship and I might be able to say, like, oh, I love the Sahara. <laughs> yeah,
0: that would be incredible. I've, I've never been to the Sahara, but I've been to the uh, Amazon rainforest. And it's it's just like a different different world.
1: <laughs> I can imagine. I'd love to go.
0: So with with traveling, what are some of your favorite travel hacks that when you go somewhere, you always have to, like, you know, do you plan ahead or uh, what are some things that make traveling easier? Because I know for some people who don't travel a lot or who are just getting into traveling, um, traveling can be a bit daunting. They're in a new environment. They're uh, in a place that they don't know where to go and buy, you know, a toothbrush if they forgot a toothbrush. Um, What are some ways that you've made traveling easier as it's just a part of rally racing
1: i think um definitely i mean i'm quite lucky because when we go racing normally we've got a team around us so you know we have a bit of Mm -hmm. support it's not like i'm going on my own um although you know it's quite an independent thing to do anyway but um i'd say i always take an eye mask and earplugs because you never know how noisy the hotel is going to be um and especially you know okay it's different maybe if you're going on holiday but when you're racing it's so important that you can rest um I would say I always book from reviews as well, not just from websites. So TripAdvisor, you know, listen to what people actually say about places. Um, Try and book a room if it's got aircon as well. That's a big one (laughs) during the summer because sometimes they don't. Um, I would... um, uh, i haven't really my sister went out to india um and so she you know she followed she was a bit more strict out there because you you know obviously you can't have like the fresh water and things like that so yeah. i learned a lot from where she went um following like her doctor's advice and not to eat these kind of foods while she was i mean she still got a parasite while she was there unfortunately but um you know that opened my eyes to so that kind of started, started traveling a bit more and i think i definitely would if i wanted to go somewhere a bit more kind of out there i'd want to go with like an organization and a guide and you know if i was going on my own i don't think i'd have the confidence to do that um in some of those places uh, without that kind of support um and just knowledge like local knowledge really um some of my other tips i'm well i always check check car rentals read the small print <laughs> I struggle so many times because when I've been racing I've been like 19, 20, 21 and I've never been old enough some places they're like 25 for you know young driver and so there's not many you know that will let you drive and there's big deposits that you have to lay down on I'm getting really boring now this isn't the kind of travel tips that you want but read the small print of the car hire um that's a big one too
0: (laughs) no it's very true though it's always important and do the walk around like check everything no
1: yeah photos (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly go around the car take pictures and email them to yourself so you have a date when you took the pictures and then you can show the the car rental be. place <laughs>
1: i haven't emailed them to myself but i've taken photos before that's a good idea we actually when we were in rome a couple of years ago we had our car broken into um and we had all of the pace notes and um all of the race kits stolen like an hour before we started the race so that was um that was quite an exciting one.
0: <laughs> oh man so what do you have yeah. to do?
1: Well, what happened was we were we were just about to start the Rome Parade. So before you do Rally Rome, which is actually happening this weekend. Um, I've been watching some of my mates out there testing. Um, but they'd basically... Um, it, I don't really know what happened, but we'd parked in um, quite a public car park. There was security cameras up and everything like that. We'd gone into a restaurant for uh, for lunch. We were waiting for the parade to start. Um, and when we came back out, we saw two guys run away from our car and jump in their car. And we went over and they'd taken, weird stuff, they'd taken like a six litre pack of water. I thought, why would you want to like, grab that? But they'd taken our pace notes, um, they'd taken GoPros, laptops, um, overalls, you know, they'd taken everything. And so, luckily, there was other teams around us. So we were able to cry, like pull in a, like a pair of shoes from someone, overalls from someone, because obviously, it all has to be fireproof. So, and then my co-driver had to remake all of the pace notes that we'd made during two-day recce by watching back our GoPro video, and she was doing it to to, to basically listening to my voice of what I'd been saying in the in on the in the normal road car. She'd been turning the volume up really loud and then writing what she could hear. Um, and then we had to compete like that. So it was, you know, it was, a, it was like an all night work um, for her. But we got there in the end. But that was quite a, you know, that's a bitter pill to swallow.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm sure. Especially, especially when you have to redo it right before the race. Like, you're, then your mental state is messed up. And then you're, like, having to scramble for it. And... Exactly. On a, on a more personal level, do you have any goals that you want to reach as far as rally racing um, in the future? Or what's what's kind of in the future for you career-wise?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, kind of, I'm still in the junior category. Um, I'm still quite re- young in in relative kind of terms to rally. Um, so definitely working my way up to the main WRC category. Um, that's the ultimate ambition for me. Um, and then that's you know that's amazing places that we get to go. That's like Rally Kenya, Rally Japan, and you know it's it is awesome. And um, so that's something that I definitely am working towards. And um, sort of every day. So that's my ultimate goal. Um, and hopefully I'll be there in a few years <laughs> we'll see
0: and then you'll have a lot more travel stories
1: <laughs> exactly exactly we'll be able to have a better conversation and catch up again <laughs> yeah
0: exactly round two that's awesome when you say like rally japan rally kenya and stuff those are are those just um what category is that in
1: so that's just the World Rally Championships. That's, that's kind of like the okay. main championship as opposed to running in the junior championship. Um, so they'll have kind of, I don't know, like 10, well, probably more events in the year. Um, and they'll be all over the place, um, like Rally New Zealand, Rally Australia. Um, so, yeah, they, you know, they get to go to some cool places. They keep the cost down for juniors and try and keep it a bit more kind of mainland Europe centralized. Um um, and that way they can attract more juniors into the championship. And then, of course, you've got a higher chance of working your way up to the top. Um, but for the manufacturer teams, they kind of work straight out of the World Championship. And um, yeah, that's when, that's when they get to go to those cool places.
0: That makes sense. And then places like Japan, do they have championship uh, like, uh, rallies inside the country as well, kind of like uh, Rally Europe?
1: Yeah, so you always have kind of like a national championship. I mean, each country is different, and almost every year is different as well, depending on like the motorsport budgets for that country and the federations. Um, but for example, England's got a, um, you know, they've got a British Rally Championship, which is you know quite popular with like Finnish drivers, for example. So they come mm-hmm. over and do a British Championship. So you know, it's we, you know, there's a there's a big mix, and um, you know, different countries are famous for different things. So um, The French tarmac is quite famous championship. Um, They've got amazing tarmac rose and quite alpine as well. and then you might get the Spanish gravel championship that people want to do for experience. Um, the Scandinavian countries are really famous for their gravel as well. And I'm actually working with a Latvian coach at the minute on trying to go out there to do some testing. Um, some of my favorite places to drive around that area. So um, yeah, everywhere, everywhere's kind of got their national um, speciality if you have, um, and that and that you know that, that's like, um, it's really cool to experience that as well because every surface, although it might just be gravel, their gravel over in kind of Estonia is so different to the gravel that's over here in England and in Wales. Um, so it's really cool to experience it all and um, learn on those surfaces too.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't thought of that. So like the different terrain, the different uh, um, obstacles you might face with racing. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up. I always end, end with a rapid fire facts section. Do you prefer beaches or cities? Features. What is the worst food that you've ever tried?
1: I really don't like dill. And every, every time I go to someone like that, it's, you know, it's a big speciality in kind of Scandinavian countries. And I just dill, I don't know why, the herb, they put it on everything. And oh, it upsets me so much, I can't eat anything.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, so you probably don't like dill pickles either.
1: <laughs> my, sisters, my sister's actually bought a dill plant to tease me about it as well.
0: Do you prefer Nikon, Canon, or Sony?
1: Oh, Canon.
0: <laughs> nice. Do you like group or solo travel? Group. What is your favorite airline that you've flown on?
1: Oh, Virgin. Hmm.
0: Window or aisle seat?
1: Window, every time.
0: <laughs> yes. Do you, do you prefer to have a strict schedule or go with the flow?
1: Go with the flow if it's got a purpose. If you're going to get stuff done and see the sights, go with the flow. But if you're you know you can't waste your time there
0: <laughs> yeah that's true uh, train
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> train or bus travel
1: train
0: apple or android apple <laughs> where would you want to live permanently
1: oh Andorra?
0: pandora that's that's awesome
1: Pandora and... has got like, the most amazing like mountain biking, skiing, like off-road buggy scene. I would, I think it would be amazing to live, and it's not too far from like the beach, but it's also in the mountains, so
0: it's, it's the just dream. kind of like the perfect location.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about Pandora actually. I'll have to look it up more. And
1: it's, uh, it's 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 um, next to like um, it's in the bottom like of, in the by the Pyrenees. I don't know why it took me so long to say that. It's um, in between France, um, kind of around Switzerland, that kind of area.
0: Got you. Cool. And then my last question that uh, we'll end with, what makes travel worth living for you?
1: Oh, I think it's definitely the experiences and seeing the different like sides to the world. It shocks me how different the world can be in so many places. And I think it's so important not to just stay in the same place, but to make sure you see as much of the world as you can, because um, it makes you realize how impressive it is and uh, really opens your eyes up to um, you know what's out there if you kind of expand your inner world a little bit as well.
0: And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining in on our conversation today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this conversation with your friends. You can find me on social media at Travel Worth Living or on the web at TravelWorthLiving.com. I sincerely hope you'll join us again next week for another incredible conversation about travel. I'm Seth Sutherland and this is Travel Worth Living.